welcome to Acquiring Minds, a podcast about buying businesses. My name is Will Smith. Acquiring an existing business is an awesome opportunity for many entrepreneurs. And on this podcast, I talk to the people who do it. My guest today, Neil Granberry, bought a business just before starting an MBA program, a program he's now enrolled in. So he'll get his MBA and also have acquired his first business already. Pretty well positioned to kick off his career. But I actually think the takeaway from Neil's story is not just for students. It's how anybody can buy a very small business. Neil's does less than 100000 in revenue and have a side hustle and additional income and maybe see it as a starter acquisition, as Neil does. Say you don't feel ready to quit your job and go out and buy a business for a million dollars. Well, there are intermediate paths you can take, and a business like Neil's is one of them. So listen to this interview from that perspective. Here's Neil Granberry's story of a starter acquisition in the business of Bubble Ball. Neil Granberry, thank you for joining me today on Acquiring Minds. Thanks for having me, Will. This is going to be a fun a fun conversation, Neil. You acquired uh, an unusual business, a fun, uh, a fun business, a party rental business, Bubble Ball. Now, I had played bubble ball once before, but um, I think not everybody in the audience will even know what it is. Why don't, why don't you uh, take a stab at explaining to people what, what bubble, bubble ball is, and then we'll, we'll, we'll step back, back out. But we, so get, give us context first. Yeah, definitely. So I like to say that it is built around soccer. So imagine that you're playing soccer, but while you're doing that, you're inside this personal protective bubble. So kind of from right below your hips to a couple inches above your head, you have some shoulder straps on, you're in the middle of this inflatable ball. And it's kind of like there's a tube on the, in the center for your torso and you're holding on and you're running around, bouncing into people, trying to play soccer and a bunch of other games. It's kind of like, um, it's kind of like a tall donut and your body, your torso goes up right in the hole of the donut and it acts as like a bodysuit that you, you know, you can collide into your co-players and fall on the ground and none of those collisions hurt. In fact, that's kind of the point because you're basically got two feet of air protecting you from anything you bump into. <laughs> right. Cool. Okay. So everyone knows what bubble ball is now. So you acquired this party rental business that, that basically sells bubble ball, the bubble ball activity for whatever, two or three or four hour rentals. We'll, we'll get into the exact details. Uh, you acquired that and you did so as an MBA student. You are currently in your MBA program at Vanderbilt, correct? That's correct. I had bought it a couple months before we started. So I kind of had my last day at my previous job, closed the business, ran that for about three, four months before my MBA program started. And now I'm doing double duty. So let's back up. Give it, give us two minutes on you, Neil, and, and take us up right to just before the bubble ball acquisition. And what, what made you want to go sure. out there and buy any business, bubble ball or otherwise? Yeah. So grew up Southeast Alabama, kind of close to Georgia and Florida, a very rural town. Um, the kind of place where no one really knows what an investment banker does. So the kind of stuff that I'm, the people I'm hanging out with now, like very foreign from my upbringing. Um, I went to Auburn, which is not too far away in Alabama and majored in mechanical engineering, just kind of wanted to be a little technical. My family was very sciencey. Um, after Auburn, I got into the automotive field, worked at Kia at a manufacturing facility for a little bit, and then took a project engineering job at Toyota. The Toyota job was like we build engines. Um, when a new engine comes into the plant, you have to demolish the old engine line, install the new one, figure out how all the people and the machines and the processes work together. So that was my job was kind of two and a half years to figure out how you're going to put it in, 
take out the old one, put in the new one, make sure it all runs, move to the next one. So did two full projects there. Um, the new, our last project just came out, the new Tundra. So that was pretty exciting. Oh, yeah. It's cool to see. Kind of wish I could have been there to do the unveiling and all that. But those guys did a great job. Oh. Um, kind of in the middle of all that, you know, COVID happened. Um, and, you know, you're sitting in your house and you're thinking like, all right, what, like, what, what is next? You get, you get too much time on your hands and you're sitting around and you're like, all right, well, what do I really want to do? And like, I really love my job, but it just wasn't quite what I wanted to do forever. Okay. And so I started thinking, Hey, what if I just get something on the side? I was looking at internet businesses. I was like still biz by sell looking at like, what could I buy Amazon FBA or a Shopify store or something like that, just to kind of like satisfy that itch, um, came across the search fund model, got super interested in the search fund mm -hmm. model, read all the books, got deep dive into that. So then I was like, all right, well, I need to get my MBA. So that's what I needed to do. I took the GMAT, um, got into all that. Um, applied to Vanderbilt, um, got into Vanderbilt, and then got a full scholarship to Vanderbilt, which set into motion a whole different uh, set of thinking about it. Because now I had some money that I didn't have earmarked for anything else. I had already been like, hey, I've got this money to go into tuition. It's a learning experience. It'll be great. No longer needed it to do that. So I was still trying to keep that mindset. I was like, what's the best thing I could possibly do to like, you know, put some gas on the fire of my career. Bubble ball, and baby. Bubble <laughs> ball, yeah. So, and, and I didn't have to look internet anymore because I knew where I was going to be. So I started looking like, what's in Nashville right now like that I can purchase? And bubble ball was in the price range, even um, like very much so. And it was the kind of thing that you can run at just a couple hours a week. It's the kind of thing that if you don't grow it, it's already profitable. Um, if you do grow it, then that's great. And you have a better chance at an exit, but it is in such like the micro market that, you know, there's a good chance that finding the next buyer may be tough. Yeah. So. Well, I, I want to, before we dive deeply into the bubble ball decision, just to, to um, ask you a couple of follow-ups on your story. Interesting that you learned about search funds ahead of time, because I, so many people that I've spoken with, you know, only learn about search funds once they get to, to business school, once they get to an MBA program, in fact. Yeah. And that's, of course, where search funds came from is some of the, the big name MBA programs. So I guess you had just been sleuthing around online and had, had, had learned about it there from podcasts or articles or whatever. Exactly where I found it. It was on Reddit oh. in a comment. But I don't remember what the thread was, or I, I would love to go back and see, like, what was I actually looking at that led to this whole like thing? Um, but yeah, I found a, a link to an HBR article that was a link to the HBR ETA book. Yep. And I sent the article to my buddy in business school, and I was like, "Have you heard of this? Like, do you know what this is about?" And he's like, "Yeah, I got a friend doing." Oh. I got on the phone with him. He was like, "Oh, you need to read Buy Them Build. You need to read the ETA book. Here's like." You need to look at the Booth website or the Booth YouTube page and see some of those videos. Like there's a ton of resources out there. Yeah. So really went down the rabbit hole for a while with all that. And your interest in digital businesses was, as you kind of alluded to a second ago, because you just wanted to be geography independent because you didn't know exactly where you'd end up at business school. Or was there something else about digital businesses that appealed? I think at the time, I it was easier for me to imagine that I could run a digital business and have my job at Toyota. So that's what I was thinking because it's location agnostic. There was lots of travel involved with Toyota. I spent a good amount of time in Japan and sometimes Kentucky and Mississippi. What they, you know, they send us all around. So I, could, I couldn't have to be at a place on any given yeah. day. You know, like I never knew what was going to come up at work. I never knew when you'd have a late night. So that was the thought initially. And then as I knew I was going to business school, I was like, okay, 
this makes sense still because it's location agnostic. But as soon as I actually knew where I was going to be, kind of changed gears. Cool. So you're looking at biz by sell uh, and all the businesses in, in Nashville and in the surrounding area, I assume. And but even recognizing that now you can buy this location dependent business, unless you are pretty confident that you can sell it in two years, it does mean that you, you know, you're it's it's anchored to to Nashville. So um, what was your thinking there? That if it's for sale on biz by sell, there's no reason why in another two years you couldn't be the current owner and go turn it back around back onto biz by sell or or what? Like you needed an exit strategy unless you planned in, 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 planned on staying in Nashville indefinitely. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, um, for sure. And Nashville indefinitely could still be a great option for me. I don't want to exclude that. Mm-hmm. Um, but my real thought process was that their numbers that they showed and their asking price was that I could be in the green after two years without making major changes and without an exit. Like it's not a great IRR return, you know, without the exit, but if you do get the exit, then you're, you're really great. So like, but even if you had to write it off as a, as a loss, quote unquote, at the end and just close it down, like, and move to wherever my future takes me, then it could still, it wouldn't have hurt my bottom line that much, you know? And that's because the size of the business was pretty small. That's because the asking price was one X EBITDA. So can we get into the numbers here? Like give me, give me even more detail if you could, like what, what, how big a purchase are we talking? What kind of EBITDA are we talking? Yeah. My classmates have been really interested about this too. So I've been trying to be pretty like open and forthcoming about, about the numbers. Um, So asking price was, I think 30,000 EBITDA stated was about 30,000. After a while, we've, had some negotiations on that, but, um, that was this, what I saw on biz by sell or by biz sell. Biz by sell. People mistake that all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so once we dug through the books kind of came up to a different EBITDA number 22 and a half, um, kind of anchored them in my negotiations to we, Hey, we've both agreed that your one X was appropriate. Um, here's what I actually think your accounting shows. And can we agree that one X is still appropriate? And like, I, I will pay you that. Mm-hmm. And basically, yes, you know, we came to some agreement. We did some small due diligence things. We met up, went over through the inventory, shook hands. That was it. Um, I had to put another like two and a half K in. So we're at roughly 25 K okay. um, all in. And so, Neil, when you so just when, we're, when we say EBITDA for a business of this size, we probably mean just straight up. Cash flow profits. There, I, I doubt there's yeah, interest yeah, yeah. Profits, interest sorry. in depreciation and and so forth amortization on a business this size. Um, so it, it, they claimed it was doing thirty thousand dollars in profit a year. When you dug into it, some, in fact, you you really saw that it was more like twenty one and a half thousand. Twenty, I think that's what I have in my notes. Twenty twenty one and a half thousand bucks in profit, right? Yeah. It wasn't that they were lying to me in any way. It was really that they weren't incurring the, some of the expenses that I would incur Yeah, because they had a house and they had a place to store these yeah. things and they were run and they had a van and they were running all these events themselves. And I was like, well, my plan isn't that. So let's put some numbers in here for what it would take me to pay employees. Like let's put some numbers in here for me getting a storage unit. Like, let's, you know, you know, uh, accounting, all that sure. stuff. So I was like, let's pro form out like what it would look like to me. So what is its value to me? Great. And why do you think the valuation was so low? Like why only one X? Is that just because it was a relatively 
tiny business. So yeah, I think just at that lower end of the market where it's not, it, it can't support you, you know, yeah. like it's just not enough. And, you know, the market in Nashville, like we definitely have room to expand. I don't want to say that we don't, you know, this could be in my mind up to a hundred thousand dollar and $90,000 business. If you get your marketing going and like really churning and like, but I can't imagine it ever being a 250 K business, mm-hmm. you know? So like that room for growth and room for being something that's worth dedicating all of your time to. Um, I think that limits a lot of people's interest in it. Mm-hmm. And so your interest in it was, I mean, you, you, as you started by saying you had this itch while you were, while you're, you're nine to five at the Toyota, jo- at the Toyota. Yeah. At the Toyota job. Yeah. And I think there, there, there's kind of more to that story. Like once you acquired this business, it wasn't just um, some side money. It was, you also had kind of, th- this was kind of a stepping stone for you, right? As I under, as I recall, so elaborate on that for me. Yeah. The, yeah. The money is, I mean, the money is the purpose for business, right? So I'm driving very hard to make sure that we're profitable and growing and all that, right? But the money in my pocket really wasn't the motivator. Um, it was a way to show this thing that I've kind of been saying about myself since college, hey, I'm interested in entrepreneurship. I'm interested in doing these things, but I had never done it. Mm-hmm. So I was like, at what point did people stop trusting me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, let's let's signal out a little bit that I'm willing to take this risk. I'm serious about doing this and I am capable of doing yeah. it. So let's actually do it. Let's show some track record of success and then see where, where that takes. That's me. cool. That's very uh, forward, forward thinking and um, resume oriented of you, you know, build, yeah, you're building and, a portfolio. You're an artist building his portfolio. <laughs> Right. And it's been good. Like I'm, I'm here with you and, um, you know, every interview I've had for internships and MBA, it's like, you know, it's one of the first things yeah. they talk about because it, it, there's a lot of M- MBAs that have engineering degrees who are very smart, talented people. So it can be hard to set yourself apart. Cool. Now, did, just curious before we get off the, the search, did you see other businesses that you liked? Did you consider other businesses or was this the, this was the one? You know, I, I looked over some other businesses. I never got so far as to an LOI with any other business. Um, there was one internet business that I remember very vividly. Uh, just a super interesting model of they had basically a machined out uh, piece of metal and then bamboo and the bike parts. And it was like assemble your own bike, mm. like e-com business. Mm. And so it was like natural bamboo, single gear bikes um, really interesting model. I mean, the biggest disadvantage was just like, you have to, it's not drop ship or anything like that. Like you have to hold a ton of inventory, um, cause it comes from China in very large batches. Yeah. So it was like, how much trust do you really have that you can move this inventory? Yeah. yeah. And that would have been, I mean, that probably wouldn't have been nearly as easy a business to exit in two years. I mean, that sounds like yeah. a much bigger bite off. Um, the, you know, one of the questions always with with buying a business or kind of a, a service business or a business is very light um, on um, on capex. Really, uh, is what were you getting when you bought the business? So why not just you know rather than spend as little as you know twenty twenty plus thousand dollars was? Why not just spend one thousand dollars or two thousand dollars on getting all this equipment yourself new and hanging your shingle and doing it that way? Yeah, I think I only probably got three, four thousand dollars worth of anything physical from them. 
Um, so what, in my mind, what I was buying was a customer list, um, some reoccurring revenue, not recurring necessarily, but they had several customers. If you look through the history that it's like, Hey, every year we're going to spend 500 bucks with you. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's just a little bit of that dependability, some name recognition, um, you know, a website, some training, um, maybe I didn't need the training as much as I thought. I kind of just, you know, I guess it wasn't as complicated as I mm-hmm. thought. Um, and yeah, that was the attitude of just why come. And, and if I didn't buy it, someone else buys it. I have competition. Mm-hmm. Right. So right now I'm the only operator in Nashville. So as long as that maintains, I have a lot of advantages in the market. Great. And so looking back, you, you, seems like you think you definitely did the right thing by buying an existing business rather than just going out, buying the equipment and starting from scratch. Yeah, I do. And then also like, right. My, all my interest was in search funds and still kind of a lot of my interests lie in that realm where it's like, I wanted to go through the negotiation process and the due diligence process and like have this path that is going to be very similar to the one I might walk further down the line. And now that you have acquired this starter business, do you, you are still as interested in, in business acquisition as, as a next step in your career after you graduate? I think it's an interesting question. As soon as I got in it and doing it, I think my confidence that I could do something from scratch skyrocketed. Um, Cause I never used to really think that I hmm. could, I think if I, that was really what it boiled down to was I never thought that I could be successful by myself, just launching something hmm. because I didn't think that there was, a market for small businesses, especially when I was like an undergrad, it was like, you're either the next Elon, like you're the next Bill Gates, whatever. It's like, you're launching the next tech thing or why do anything? It was like a billionaire or bust yep. attitude. Yep. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Really media. isn't like how, yeah. Right. <laughs> so it really isn't how it is. I think like even someone came out with a podcast recently, that's like riches in the niches. And it's, I love that. Like, you know, there's a lot of room out there to do very well without, you know, being the next unicorn startup. So it wasn't that you didn't think that you could start something. It was that you thought starters were people who had just very grandiose business ideas, the SpaceX's, the Facebooks. And now once you realize yeah. that, in fact, you could, that small businesses can, in fact, be, quote unquote, small businesses can, in fact, be great businesses and big businesses for any normal person's, you know, sense of scale, you, you, you feel like, well, no, I could, I could start one of those. I just didn't think that that was really an appealing option until now. Yeah. I think that's exactly it. It just didn't seem like that was a thing that exists because I didn't know anyone who had ever done it. Yeah, it is. It is crazy. Actually on the mission statement of acquiring minds, um, I call out the media on saying, you know, that it's obsessed with unicorns and billionaires. And I, and I just do think it's a disservice. I mean, I've gone through a similar progression in my thinking as you. And, um, you know, there's just small businesses all around us. And when the media doesn't talk about them at all, who, who do we think are going to start those businesses yeah. or, or as the case may be, acquire them from the existing owners? So, um, and, and they can be wonderful, wonderful, lucrative uh, enterprises. Yeah. Uh, you should have uh, Andrew Gazdecki on because yeah. you sound just like <laughs> his uh, his spiels on totally. on Twitter about that. I should have know? Andrew on, and I and I've heard him on a lot of podcasts say say similar things. 
Cool. Well, let, let's get a little bit into the to the business itself. Um, you you gave us a sense of, or you, get, you were very specific about the numbers you acquired it for. How's revenue now? What are costs? How do you pay people? Give us like two or three minutes and just rattle off some some numbers so people can really understand your business. Sure. Um, so we're let's just say we're exactly six months in from acquisition. Okay. Um, we have not quite hit the halfway point of the twenty two and a half times you know projected profit. Um, started really slow one event that first month because there was nothing on the books. You know, the the Google My Business page said permanently closed when I bought it. They hadn't been doing events at all for the past 18 months. So we had a, a slow ramp up. This um, is because we of COVID. Do, so you were acquiring a party rental business uh, in the wake of COVID. In the wake of COVID. And they, they had health issues was another reason that they were selling. So like as COVID happened, there was also a health problem with the previous owner. And so they just got the double whammy where it's like, why struggle through COVID? Like we need to focus on other things. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. So they, it wasn't really in their line of sight at all to keep business in the pipeline. So they were actively telling people, hey, we're closed until we sell. Oh. So there was a, a serious slowdown. Um, so we're doing probably, I think we've done $13,500 right now. So we're of net or, or gross Mm-hmm. Um, revenue. So mm-hmm. that's, we're operating about 80% margin, 70% net margins. Um, and then we have about 500 a month for overhead. So if you do all that out, we've made like, I think seven and a half or something like that. Okay. Seven and a half thousand dollars for the year. Yeah. For the six months. And right. So far, right. Right. So, but things are progressing up, you know, this will be a big month for us. Um, and it's looking as, COVID recovers that some of our biggest customers will come back because a big key to the business was a lot of our business does reoccur, but it's schools and churches and youth groups and schools are two of the groups that have been greatly affected um, kind of by what's been happening. And people have really pulled back on these large events where people gather and do these things. So field days, big church events, fall festivals, you know, Nashville is still having some of those things this fall. And so we're seeing that come back, but I really think coming into the spring, um, we're going to have a strong marketing push and we're going to eclipse that 22 and a half, you know, basis number by a good bit. So kind of targeting to make 35, 40 going into next year. Excellent. And in terms of one of the things you acquired being the customer list, and, and yet some of those customers maybe have checked, having checked the website and seeing that it was closed for business or whatever. I assume one of the first thing you did, first things you did was reach out to everybody and say, Hey, new buyer open for business. So is that to talk me through how, how you've leveraged the list? It wasn't the first thing I did. Actually, I wasn't sure that I could manage the influx if I was too successful. Um, so the first thing I did was try to build the operating base Um, So let's make sure that, you know, what we're doing, you know, the path of doing these events is well-established. The other thing that I didn't get that I kind of expected to get when I bought the business was their previous employees. They, you know, had said they have some contractors that they work with 1099, which is the same thing I wanted to do. None of those people chose to transfer. It was really, they were just had relationships with the previous ownership. Um, Mm -hmm. So the recruiting started, that was the first thing. So we started on Indeed, reaching out to people, posting jobs, lots of interviews, um, and then we do training events as part of the interview. And then 
hopefully hire, but hiring has been difficult as there's could be a million people to tell you. So that took a little while, but once we got one or two other people trained, then we start that reach out going into summer. We see like June, July really take off. We get two really good employees who stick and are still here. And, you know, we're starting to establish a process for hiring. We're starting to establish a process for, Hey, when the event comes in, I send you this info. You tell me yes or no. If no, then I move to the next person. If no, again, then I do it. If no, again, then we have to decline the event. And that's kind of this like flow of how does the business operate? So once we are established mm-hmm. there, then we kick in the marketing kind of coming into July. And then in July, we started Google AdWords, um, some social media marketing. I, at this point, felt that it was time to start the marketing because I had redone the brand, you know, the logo and all that that you've seen. That wasn't in place before. It -hmm. was different. Um, And then the website. So the website, I probably spent a solid four weeks redoing all of that. In hindsight, maybe that was an outsourcing opportunity to someone who has more artistic ability than myself. But I think it looks okay now, but it took a lot of work. I was going to say, I I was going to compliment you on the website because I feel like for such a kind of small business, I would expect a website for um, something like this to just be really not good or a disaster. And I, this is, this is, this is a good website for a small bubble ball business. <laughs> I'm looking at it right yeah, now. I got some, I got some good feedback on them. The first couple iterations. I don't think you would have said that about my first ideas, but okay. Yeah, it's good. I like it now. Yeah. And I mean, you got the video here of everybody just having a blast, which is, of course, um, yeah. w- what you're selling. So that was a huge win. That's not my video. I reached out to the owner of it on YouTube and I was like, hey, like, can I embed this on my website? I'm not going to use them promotion materials. It'll just be embedded and it'll be this segment of your longer video that, you know, you'll maintain ownership of it. And I'll link to it in my media. And he was like, yeah, absolutely no problem. Oh, like, nice. Like, that's awesome because that is a very well shot, you know, promotion. This is a phenomenal video. Yeah, it's it's yeah. Um, really dynamic. There's effects and slow motion and action shots. It's, it's pretty cool. It really makes Bubble Ball yeah. seem like, you know, gladiatorial. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, cool. And just I, I just wanted to drill down a, a sec on the hiring. How did you, Neil, like get people? I assume you're people are all 1099, obviously, like they're Mm -hmm. on contract so that you you pay them per engagement per um, party. And these are like four hour engagements, I think you told me. Yeah, it's kind of, I pay them by the hour of however long it takes them. They go to my storage unit, they pick up the equipment, put it in their own vehicle, drive to the event, wherever that is, and then um, unload, set up, blow up the stuff. It takes a little while to do that. So we allow, we want to allow 30 minutes um, and as much as 45. So we tried to tell them, get there an hour early. Let's never be late. Um, mm-hmm. Do the event, which is between one and four hours. I would say we average about two. And then they tear down, bring it back to the um, storage unit. And then, so their time is going into the gate of the unit, leaving the gate of the unit. And we pay them $20 mm-hmm. an hour, um, which is good for Nashville. Um, it, it is more than enough to attract a lot of interest, especially on a flex schedule basis. Like, mm-hmm. hey, you don't have to work any of these events. Like, you tell me your schedule, I will pair you up with stuff that is a good fit, and you're allowed to tell me no. So that's that's the system that we're running, and um, it requires me to keep more people than if I had people on standby. But that's not really fair to them. So most of these people have other jobs or school commitments. But you you were able to draw them out to do a training 
even without the promise of an immediate payday? I pay them half. I started paying them half price for the training. So ah. yeah, so I would pay them $10 an hour for the training. I upped that to 15. I felt like people were kind of hesitant about that. Like, why yeah. is he paying me half? But I, I might as well just pay him 20 because once you get there and they complete the training, we have a very good stick rate. It really, our dropout rate is just people not showing up for the interview, people not showing up for that first day. And it's a pretty high no-show rate. So that part is the, one of the more frustrating parts, I guess, of small business ownership in this day. Yeah. 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 Although be- better that your no-shows be at the top of the funnel rather than halfway through the funnel when you've actually trained them and, and yes. they're supposed to be, you know, going to a gig. And I have to say, it seems like, you know, it's probably a pretty fun thing, a fun way to make $20 an hour. You, you know, you're, you're basically just bringing people, people like a, a way to have fun and watching them have fun. And yeah, I mean, it's good exercise. You're outside. It's not bad. I don't mind doing them at all myself, but I, I do try to, even if I'm available, push them to my employees because one day to make this business sellable, I think it needs to show that like 70 to 80% of these events were not done by me. I think if it's flipped and I'm doing 80%, then, you know, it's no longer a business. It is more of just a hustle that I do on my own. That's right. And you said you, you, you pay $20 an hour. What do you charge typically? So what gross profits here? Uh, we charge two ninety five for the one hour, um, four twenty for two, um, and the four hours would be like seven fifty. Um, that big step change in there is because, like, at a four hour event, is because we're assuming there's going to be like a hundred plus kids. So I have tried to have two employees at those types ah. of events. So, um, like, there's a two hour event at four hundred and twenty dollars. There's a two hour event at five hundred. One is with one employee. One is with two employees. So yeah. um, every event is classified based on how many people you have. So that's kind of a change. Like when I did market research on how does every other bubble ball price, it's always, hey, we have these events you pick. Well, I feel like that could misalign the expectations. So mine's really like, how many people do you have? And like pick from there. Because I don't even, it's not to your benefit or mine to, for you to book a four-hour thing with eight people. You're going to be tired after an hour with mm-hmm. eight people playing the whole time, mm-hmm. I mean, even if you're a super athlete. Um, so it really needs to be in the opposite way. If you have a hundred people and you have an hour, I can't even get anybody, everybody through to be in one. So yeah. Yeah. just making sure that we're delivering some value to the right groups and at the right price. Nice. Well, those are great gross margins. Yeah. I mean, and that was, the most attractive part of the business I thought was that, and and they were pricing a little lower before and they had a different scheme of, you know, how they drove people to different ones. Um, So I thought that the margins could be good or better. And even with, you know, now paying an employee, we could probably maintain really good margins. Um, And then, so it's really just a game at this point of how many events can I have in a week? And if I can drive that number up, you know, we, max I've ever done right now is like four in a week. Um, and then mostly it's one to two. So if I, we can yeah. drive that up to where I'm doing two or three a day on the big days, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, um, do one on Wednesday night with the church and then pick up one random corporate event here and there Monday, Tuesday during the week, like that's when we'll be in really good shape to overachieve kind of our targets. Cool. So on that point about just driving demand is really what, you know, what your North star is at this point. And you, even if you meet the goals that you just described, like you, you do see, and you always like 
you went into the sidewise open that there's like a a low TAM here, a low a low total addressable market. There's a ceiling to how big this could really get, um, because it's a uh, you know just because of the nature of the business for a variety of reasons. Um, but one obvious way to expand something like this is just to offer a portfolio of activities. So not just bubble ball, but whatever. I don't know. I, I never have any fun. So I, I don't know what other activities there are. Moon bounces for kids' parties, you know, whatever it is that people people rent. Um, and I imagine margins are similar and I imagine logistics are similar. Like I imagine there's there's there are a lot of patterns that overlap with this existing business. So that seems like a, a way you expand is, is by offering um, three or four or five different activities from people to choose from. Um, am I right about that? And if so, is that something you're considering? Or that would be like, you probably want to exit this business before you before you start doing that, all that? I mean, you definitely nailed the premise of like, if you can expand your average order value per customer, that's one way to grow this business. We just did our first very simple one. I ordered a tug of war rope. So a lot of these yeah. are teenage there boys. They love tug of war. You know, it's literally, you know, they love to go against each other and compete and it gives them a good squid break. games, man. You gotta, <laughs> you gotta do the squid, <laughs> squid right. games tie in. <laughs> yeah. And um, so that's our first one. There's another one that I've been considering and it's foam tipped archery. So yep. it's like you use the bubbles as barrier as like obstacles. And so it kind of fits in there. So I'm trying to do stuff that fits within our idea of, Hey, we're going to show up to your event and provide a lot of mm -hmm. fun. Um, mm -hmm. So like the, moon bounces and stuff like that. There's already so many people in Nashville that are doing that. And it's okay. a little bit different where they set up beforehand, they leave the stuff there, they come and tear it down after. Like part of our value proposition, I think is like, we're facilitating. Like we have someone there actively the whole time being like, oh, mm -hmm. like, seems like you guys aren't loving the soccer one. Like let's do like kickoff returns. Like let's mm -hmm. do sharks and minnows. Like let's do the, any of these other games that we can to like, kind of read the room and be like, let's make sure that you guys are having fun. Let's make sure that everyone gets to play whatever it is. Like that's what parents and administrators and whoever it is that hired us is really looking for is like more of a hands-off event. So they can be hands-off because you they are hands-off. hands-off because we are yeah. facilitating. Yes. Cool. Well, it's, it's exciting, Neil. Good for you for starting a, or acquiring and basically doing an entrepreneurial venture while you're still in school. I think it's, uh, like you said, it's already opened some interesting doors for you. Um, and it's a, it's a fun project. So uh, for anybody else in the audience who's actually just very last question, is this sounds positive? Is this something that, you know, any, any, any MBA that might be listening to this MBA student, is this something that you would recommend that they do something like this, not bubble ball specifically, but something kind of of the same scale and scope and price as this? I mean, I think just putting your money where your mouth is, is important uh, yeah. to some extent. And then having something that can be break even on autopilot. And then every ounce of effort that you put into it is, you know, generating some return is it's a really rewarding thing. And I think it will give you a lot of value at whatever you're doing, even if you're going the more traditional consulting IB pathway. Yeah. Cool. Neil, how can people reach you if they want to, if they want to learn more about this business and your story? Um, Twitter is good. You know, that's how we met. So I think mm -hmm. that's probably the best way. Uh, I think it's at Neil Granberry, although I don't think I've ever had to tell anybody what my Twitter handle is. So <laughs> we'll have to double check that, but I'm pretty sure it's just first and last name. <laughs> well, it'll, it'll be in the show notes, whatever it is. Um, so, but the people can check there if they, if they don't, if it turns out not to be that. <laughs> 
Cool. Great. Thanks for the time, Neil. Fun story. Awesome. Well, appreciate it. Have a good one.